Hello, it is Sunday, January 3rd. I am Trent Ryan-Smith, and this is another edition of the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. And here are the topics of discussion for tonight. Start off today speaking about Mike Perry and the UFC offering substance abuse help or uh, mental health help to UFC fighters, which is something that I don't think it provides, but it should. Then I discuss Conor McGregor and trying to dispel the thinking that he is in the in the mix for greatest of all time. I talk about uh, what I made as a freelancer in 2020 and finish off with another what I want to see in 2021, and that is Bellator addressing why it felt that it could safely sign Anthony Johnson to the promotion despite his history of uh, domestic violence and violence towards women. And now, on with the show. Okay, Mike Perry. Mike Perry will be the... First thing I talk about here. So something's going on. Um, looks like he was out on a boat of something today. Was drinking and then he, it looks like he apparently kicked the window in and then was laying there uh, bleeding uh, pretty significantly from his leg. And um, then after that, he tweeted out, no matter what I do, it's never enough. So I act out happy to spill my own blood. And of course, there is concern here, as there should be. And I'm not going to, you know, get too deep into Mike Perry, the person, or Mike Perry's past, but he has shown some indications that he needs some kind of uh, assistance. And when he was involved in the the bar brawl a while ago, the UFC said that they would not. It would not book him until he got some help, and they were going to provide him with that help. I think they said that. And then two months later, they booked him for a fight. And I don't know what the issues were with Mike Perry, but I do know um, if he had a substance abuse problem or has a substance abuse problem of any kind or has a mental health issue of any kind, two months is not going to... Um, significantly make a a difference in that in that issue it's it's just not and so if the UFC thinks that it would or even did follow through with its uh, words that it was going to help Perry well two months even if it's you know an in um, an in-house kind of um, therapy kind of thing it, it's not going to be a game changer for for anyone it's just not and so i doubt that the ufc followed through with that and now now here we are today and obviously there's an issue with mike perry and i don't know what that is and i'm not going to try and diagnose it but there's something that that needs to be done and so we're a few hours removed from from Perry's video and uh, his statement, his tweet, and I have seen nothing from the UFC, and I'm not surprised. Um, they should have made a statement. 
they should have reached out to Perry to see if he needed help or wanted help. And it sh they should have, you know, made a statement about this at the very least. None of that happened. And one of the main reasons none of that happened is because the UFC, uh, the fighters aren't employees. They're not, they're independent contractors. And so anything outside of signing a fight and fighting is really no concern of the UFCs in in a a legal um, a legal a way to look at it legally. They're not responsible for those for any of their fighters in any way, uh, other than you know medical. I'm sorry, injury insurance while training and anything that happens in the cage that's about it and even then it's probably very limited because of the contracts and because the fighters are again independent contractors and so legally the UFC doesn't have to do anything with, for Mike Perry morally that's a different story morally um it it should it should at least do more than pay lip service to caring about these folks who literally Get, take physical and mental damage uh, so the UFC can can make money. But the the morals of the UFC, when we look at who sits at the top of the UFC, we know the morals uh, don't run too deep. So I think Mike Perry needs some kind of help. And then the question becomes, what does the UFC offer in in this kind of help? Because I know I know, that other other fighters have spoken about that they think the UFC should offer um, mental health help. Robert Whitaker was one of these people, and I know he's not alone. And so, why doesn't the UFC offer this? If you if you have a job, there's usually some kind of mental health or substance abuse assistance, and it's usually uh, free through an employee assistance program where you can call someone 24 hours a day. And while they might not be able to help you immediately, they can steer you in a direction to get the help you want and you need. And if an employer sees someone who needs help, then that employer should reach out to that person and you know get them help. That's not happening here, um, and because it, it's not happening, because the UFC doesn't it doesn't need to happen. It should happen, and the UFC should provide uh, uh, mental health insurance for all its fighters because it's a stressful job. It's not a long term job, and let's face it: the people that do do this this that perform this sport perform in this sport are kind of different different. They're wired differently to begin with. I mean, this isn't a, a normal ball and and stick sport. This is a violent sport. And so you, even more so than, than football and hockey, because the protections are a lot less. It's, it's more violent than boxing, I, I believe, because of the different ways that fights can end. I mean, boxing more has probably more accumulation of head trauma but it's not just head trauma with MMA. It's it's a lot of different traumas that can that can that can add up over time, and so not only should mental health 
assistance be provided for fighters, but physical assistance should be provided for fighters other than what the UFC provides, which is if you're in camp and you get injured, well, then we'll cover it, but there's going to be a deductible and it's going to be, there's a bunch of limits I, from what I understand. So the UFC should offer, and, and this is something I've said many times, the UFC should offer full health insurance to its fighters at a reasonable rate, if not free. But it's not going to because it doesn't have to because the fighters are independent contractors. Now, let's not forget that Mike Perry is not the only person that we should be concerned about here. His, I, I don't know if he's married or not, but his uh, significant other, um, she is pregnant with with their child. And so Perry is going to be a, a, he's a father-to-be in, in a short while. So that is another concern here. He's going to have a family and, and that's a, that's a concern. But yet here we are, Mike Perry. I don't know if he's deteriorating because I can't, I'm not going to, I can't diagnose anything, but from what we've seen, there's something that needs help inside of Mike Perry. So the UFC, while not legally obligated, should some should feel some kind of moral obligation to Perry. And if it doesn't, well, then make that clear. And if it doesn't offer a statement on Perry, well, then that's that. Then it's clearly made made the point of okay, this guy and every UFC fighter they don't matter to us other than what they provide to us inside the cage. That's it. I mean, that if 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 we don't see someone like Mike Perry get the help he needs, then the message from the UFC is clear, at least to me. The fighters are just the product that we put out there. It's dispensable, replaceable product to be used and tossed to the side. Now, we have an inkling that that's what, what UFC fighters are, but... You know, this is a matter of now we can clearly see what the UFC fighters are to the UFC. And so this is something uh, that we need to watch. And it's not just Mike Perry, but Mike Perry is a good example of what the UFC is going to do or is willing to do to help its fighters. So let's watch this, see how it plays out. Hopefully the UFC does something. If not, we know we have another indication of how morally corrupt the UFC uh, may be. So this isn't just a small incident. It should be looked at as a, as a big picture incident of how the UFC deals with these things. So we'll see how this goes. Conor McGregor tweeted something out or... ESPN tweeted something out about Conor McGregor and being the GOAT. And I kind of took a little bit of offense to this because it didn't make, well, not offense, but uh, I want to argue against McGregor's point. Let's, let's say that. So this is, oh, it's via the, the Mac Life. I don't know who tweeted out, actually. Anyway, he said, some of the fans like to call Jose Aldo the greatest of all time due to the number of quality opponents he beat along with his incredible skill. But didn't I KO him in 13 seconds? Didn't I also become the first two-division simultaneous champion? 
wins across three different weight classes, no performance enhancers, am I not the GOAT? And the answer to that is no, no. And one big reason that Conor McGregor isn't even, shouldn't even be in the consideration for the greatest of all time is that he didn't defend his titles. He wasn't the guy. John Jones was the guy. Anderson Silva was the guy. Uh, George St. Pierre was the guy. Demetrius Johnson was the guy. Uh, Fedor, he was the guy. Uh, Jose Aldo, he was the guy. Uh, Amanda Nunes is going to be there very shortly. Uh, same with Valentina Shevchenko. She, too, is going to be there very very shortly. And And where there is, is at the top of the heap, multiple title defenses. You have become the person that every fighter in that division has trained to beat. Like John Jones, every fighter in the light heavyweight division trained to beat him over the years. Aldo, same kind of thing. All these fighters had that. They sat at the top, they defended their titles multiple times, and there were generate at least one generation or more than one generation of fighters who had trained specifically to beat them. They They were at the top so long that Every fighter below them trained specifically for them in, in, in case they got to the title fight. And that's how you become, at least enter the conversation for the GOAT. I don't care if you win a, a title in three weight divisions. If you haven't defended any of those, your, your status is questionable. Um, now you can say, well, everyone, anyone can have one good night. And that's true if you win one title, but if you win more than one title, then okay, I'll put you in a consideration for a a a a, a good fighter, one of the one of the best fighters in in that division, but not overall because you didn't defend your title. You weren't the person that everyone was was gunning for. That's Conor McGregor has never been that, never. And so that is why he should not be in the conversation for greatest of all time. Is he the most popular fighter of all time? Probably. Is he the most financially lucrative fighter of all time for the for the UFC? Probably. But he's not even the greatest champion in, in any division, let alone the greatest fighter. So it's a silly discussion. It's a silly discussion to begin with, but when someone like... McGregor puts himself in that conversation based on a couple of wins instead of a a body of work. Well, then, then we have a, a problem, and I just wanted to bring that up. McGregor, not even close to being the greatest of all time. So every year, I write a story about how much money I make as a freelance MMA writer, and I have been a full-time freelancer for the past few years. And so over the weekend, I wrote um, my my end-of-year uh, story for, for my finances in 2020. So let's, in 2018, I made, this was probably, well, what was my best year as a, as a freelancer. I made 
$55,855 and some change. A lot of that money was made on a project I was working on. It was MMA related, but it was not a, it was not a writing gig. So I put in a ton of hours on that and that made up a significant amount of that money. Uh, 2019, I made 39614 and and some change. And again, not as much money was made from that project, but I still worked on that project maybe six months. So a decent amount came from that. And 2020, all the money was a uh, for freelance writing, and that dropped down to 33862 and some change, I guess. I didn't, I didn't go that far into it. But again, all freelancing. And here's the, uh, here's well, um, some uh, significant things to take out of that thirty-three thousand is that twenty percent of that goes to taxes. Um, I pay my health insurance through there, and I I get help just from the uh, the ACA pays a good chunk of that just because of the income and what what Maryland offers as far as help. So my insurance is, it's fairly insignificant as far as that goes. Um, work from home, so I have that. Um, don't really drive that much, but I spent um, in late 2019, I had to buy a new car. Well, not a new car, but a used car, but... That took a big chunk of my money away, and in the end of this year, there was some financial hits for a our dog had a heart cancer, and he did well for a year on medication, and then he began to fill up with fluid, and, and we had to regularly get that fluid drained off of his heart, his lungs, and his stomach because he would fill up with so much fluid, and they would um, drain probably the last couple times was uh, close to two liters of fluid from him. Um, he was doing good for a couple months since September and then took a bad turn in early December and we had to put him down um, in the middle of December. And so that was a few thousand dollars, more than five, less than 10 for his care during that time. So that was a big financial hit. And then normally every year I put $7,500 down into my retirement. I don't know if I'm going to have that um, that much to put down this year. I have a cushion. You know, everybody says have that cushion in your savings. I have about six months. Last year I had about nine. And I have a fairly significant amount of money tied up in retirement that is not liquid. I could get it out if I need it. But there is a financial penalty for that. So the liquid available funds I have right now, six months. So I am not in bad shape um, at all. Most of that, and if you can want to read this, you can go into the, the Substack newsletter and this is all detailed out of why I am in the financial shape I've been in um, since I was much younger and it's because of decisions I made and how I worked right out of uh, high school. And so if you want to read that, it's on the uh, Substack, comeonnow.substack.com, and you can get to that there. But anyway, so financially, 2020, $33,862, which is a 
far cry from the 55,000 I made in 2018 and a little less than the 39,000 I made in 2019. And I expect to make about the same in 2020. And if you want to read more about this, again, head to the Substack, the newsletter, and I break down in a lot more detail the whole thing about freelancing as a, an MMA writer. So it might be interesting to some. And if it is, you can find it on uh, the Substack. So in closing, I'm doing some things here with uh, what I want to see in 2021 from MMA. Uh, the first one was to fix the UFC official rankings and get some a uh, transparency there. And the next one is Anthony Johnson related. Bellator signed him. They did not uh, mention anything about his past and his history of domestic abuse and, and violence towards women. And I think that question needs to be addressed um, because it's a history that date back, dates back more than 10 years. It's a documented history. And it happened uh, again as recently as 2019. So this is not something that is a one-time incident with Mr. Johnson. And it's not something that hasn't happened on a regular basis over the past 10 years. And I'm going to do a video on that sometime this week where I really break down everything and speak about everything that Johnson has been accused of, pled out to, had dismissed, etc. And it's lengthy and it's not pretty. And Bellator has not addressed it. I asked them why they felt they could sign Johnson despite this history. And I did not get any response. And I will ask them again. And hopefully at some point this will be addressed and not ignored uh, because it's, it's something that should not be ignored. It's history and it happened. And just like Greg Hardy, you can pretend it didn't happen, but it did. And the promotion needs to address it. I've said many times that, you know, I don't think someone that has committed violence should be able to do violence as a job. And I stand by that. And people will say, well, what do you expect that person to do? And I say, I don't know. Frankly, I don't really care all that much. But there are jobs more than, pro there are more jobs available to people than professional cage fighter. So don't tell me that this is the only thing Anthony Johnson or Greg Hardy or any of the other fighters who have credible uh, um, instances of domestic abuse or violence toward women that they can do. They can, they can, they can be more than a professional cage fighter. Just like if I lose this job, I can go work somewhere else. Will that job be glamorous? Not that this job is glamorous, but will that job be some high paying glamorous job? Probably not. Not that this pays well, but it, it's a, a good gig. You know, I work from home. I get to, to follow MMA, all that stuff. But if I lose it, I go back and work in a warehouse or manufacturing like I did before. This is not the only job for me. Just like mixed martial artists is not the only job for someone that was a mixed martial artist. So don't, don't try and sell me on that bullshit either. So anyway, Bellator has gotten away with not answering the Anthony Johnson question. And it, and it does need to answer that question 
before he fights in 2021. And with that, close it out for tonight. And I will be back probably tomorrow. Until then, everyone stay safe. Thank you.